Today, we're launching a new series. For the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus as a model of disciple-making. How did Jesus do it? What did he do? How is that supposed to transform our lives and be a pattern for us to become a disciple-making church? That was the right slide. Uh, to become a disciple-making church. Um, in our worship as we sing, as we praise, as we have our worship service together, are we glorifying God and learning more about him? I hope every time. As we do our Bible studies together, both in your personal life and in our Sunday morning, are we going deeper in his word? Are we teaching our children? Are we teaching our youth? Are we teaching each other to know God? Are we doing our witness? We talked about Garden Day and others. And even our work as a church, whether it's everything we do from uh, cleaning the kitchen um, to being on personnel committees or practicing for the music, what are we doing to make Jesus known? How are we growing in our walk with him? Well, <clears throat> As we look back at Jesus, it's interesting to see how the people were looking. And in John chapter 1, that's our passage for today, we see this moment where John the Baptist, who actually was Jesus' cousin, though I don't think they hung out much together, um, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Today, let's look. Let's look at Jesus, let's look at his model, and let's ask him to speak to our hearts. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for sending us your Son as our Savior, as our Lord and King, but also as our model. Help us see in him the skills, see in him the, the patterns that we should emulate to become more like him in both character and action. Speak to us through your word today. We pray these things in the name of your Son, our Savior Jesus. Amen. John's words at the beginning of this little passage in John chapter 1 are filled with theological, like, understandings, important nuggets about truths about God. For example, when John says, hey, look, there he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We need to realize from the get-go, that, that is full of important things. You see, forever, the, the Israelites had had temple worship where they offered and sacrificed lambs and bulls and rams, not in hope that that would take away sins. Really, those were symbols of the things to come, the good things that are in Jesus, that Jesus alone would be that substitute we learned about last week. Even in the life of Abraham, the ram that was the substitute that took away the sins, that died in our place to pay the penalty. John, from the get-go, identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God who would take away sins. He goes on in verse 30 to say this, this, this Jesus, this same man, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's one of those lines that you feel like you've got to read three or four times because it's probably a tongue twister. The one who comes after me was before me, so he's better than, no, he surpassed me because he, uh, the one, okay, let's try that again. The one who came after me was before, okay, okay, I'm giving up. What does he mean? In that one phrase, 
John is revealing some important things about Jesus. Not only is he the sacrifice, not only is he the Savior, but he's the pre-existent incarnate Son of God. He is the one by whom and for whom the universe was made. He is the one in whom all things hold together. He ultimately is the head of the church, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might have supremacy. John didn't say all of that right there, but that's what he means. Jesus was at the beginning with the Father and all of the universe was made through him. He is not only Savior, but he is exalted Lord of the universe. Next verse, verse 31. He says, I myself didn't know him, but the reason I came baptizing, the reason John the Baptist, this prophet of God, he said the reason I came was that Jesus might be revealed to Israel. His purpose was not for his own glory. His purpose was not for his own self-fulfillment. His purpose was not for his own anything. His entirety of the purpose of John's life was wrapped up in one thing, that Jesus would be revealed. Is that enough? Oh my goodness, is that enough? Can you imagine all that's in that one sermon, right? All that's in that one, three verses. Jesus, Savior, Jesus, exalted King. And our lives are called and are wrapped up in those singular purpose, just like John the Baptist, that Jesus would be glorified, that he would be revealed, that he would be manifest, because Jesus said when he is lifted up, he would draw all men to himself. I think we could have a sermon on those three verses. But we're not. we got to move on. There's a whole many other things. Because here they had come and seen Jesus. We were singing songs about seeing Jesus in the New Jerusalem, about coming to see him. But seeing's not enough. John the Baptist pointed out these incredible things about Jesus. But seeing those things are not enough. Hearing those truths is not enough. Recognition is not enough. So what now? So what now? What do we do And in this, we begin to see the model of Jesus that's a pattern for us. It says the next day, uh, in verse 35, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples, people who had a heart for God they wanted to know. And when these two people with John the Baptist saw Jesus passing by, John again says, look, the Lamb of God. Well, it's two days in a row, and these disciples are like, well, if that's the Lamb of God... Maybe I ought to follow. Let's go figure that out. And it says, when the two disciples heard this, they went and followed Jesus. Watch this. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, so what do you want? What do you want? Why are you following me? Now, I don't think Jesus thought they were stalkers or something. I don't think Jesus thought they were like criminals or something. But it's an interesting question. What do you want? And they said, rabbi, which means teachers, Where are you staying? Interesting question by Jesus. What do you want? Some of us, I think, are like, well, Jesus, because what if Jesus said that to you? I think some of us would say, Jesus, I'm so glad you asked. You know, I've been kind of waiting for that question. Jesus, what, what do you, you know, actually, Jesus, I was kind of looking for a better career. I mean, this has been okay, but I'm looking for, you know, Jesus, um, I appreciate everything you give me. You know, you're the creator of the universe. And since you are good at creating the universes and stuff like that, how about a bigger house? Maybe a little bit nicer yard. 
More money would always be nice. Um, I mean, I don't have to win the lottery or something, but a raise would be good. Having a longer vacation, you know? I mean, this is, you know, Jesus, this would be a good time for that. Um, we've all been kind of cooped up and ready to go on vacations again. Um, what about an easy PhD? That's what I always was looking for. My wife said that they're just not such a thing. I kept, my family wanted me to get a PhD, and I was like, is there an easy one of those? Because it's a lot of studying. And I was just thinking, is there an easy PhD? And I, I how about just a happier family? Could we just get along a little bit better? Just a little bit of peace in the home. My new one is, I want to be a TikTok influencer. <laughs> now, if I can ever figure out what a TikTok influencer is, <laughs> then I'm sure that would be my first step. But they seem to like make money, and they seem to be cool, and it seems to be some kid with a, a, an iPhone, and somehow or another, we're, they're making like millions of dollars. And I don't know, but TikTok influencer, I think could be my next big career goal. I, I don't know. We think that Jesus turned around and said, hey, what, what, what do you want? As if it was some kind of like a genie in the bottle. Oh, yeah, God. What, 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 are you asking me what I want? I, I don't think that was really what the question was about. I think the question is, oh, what do you really want? Do you want to come and follow me? Do you want to learn how of, of me? Do you want to learn my ways? Do you want to actually follow and know God? Do you want to come in on this adventure, on this pursuit? Or really, have you kind of like, oh, no, I kind of want to make my life my way. What do you want? Because look at what Jesus' response is. Verse 39, come and you will see. Jesus, it's simple. Come and you'll see. Where are you staying? Well, come and you'll see. But he's not just inviting him to go come to his campsite. He's not just inviting him to his house or the motel where he's staying. He's inviting them into a relationship, a relationship where they would follow and he's going to lead. Not, well, I don't know. Why don't we, where would you like to eat today? <laughs> where do you want to stay today? No, come and you will see. Come and follow me. Discipleship, following Jesus, knowing God, living the life that God has created you for begins, begins with a call to follow Jesus. It begins with a call to follow Jesus. Some of you have never experienced that. People you know have never experienced. They've never said yes to Jesus. We've heard in the testimony, both in music and in the word today, that everybody is invited to a relationship with God. And if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, then eternity is not yours. Relationship with God is not yours. We heard that. But we also need to hear that the life that God has for you now, you might miss. Jesus calls. God is calling. But those calls can often be disruptive, annoying. You get them, right? I get them. They come all the day. I love my phone now. My phone blocks a lot of them. Does your phone block them now? I really enjoy that. Oh, yeah, blocked another one. Okay, yeah, I get them all the time. And the call weeds them out a lot of times, right? Um, potential spam. It even knows that they're spam. How does it know it's spam? I don't know. I really don't know. But somehow it knows that it's possibly spam. It might be some of you, but, but, but somehow my phone blocks it out. If I don't respond, that's probably what happened. My phone blocked you out. It didn't recognize you. Because these calls are irritating. They're, they're maddening. Add your adjective here. We hate these. 4.1 billion calls were placed in October of last year. 4.1 billion, right? That's half the population of the planet, right? I'm making a phone call. I mean, my goodness, in one month. Incredible. This call of God can often seem the same way. It's inconvenient. 
It's disruptive. Maybe you even think it's annoying, like I've heard this before. Well, here it comes. <laughs> the call to discipleship is actually disruptive. Disruptive to often our comforts and disruptive to our agendas. Now, I'm not saying it's not good. I'm not saying it's not the best thing ever, but it may not allow your life to be exactly like you thought you wanted your life to be. Look what happens in Mark chapter 2. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd had come to him, and he began to teach them. People were interested. They wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to observe Jesus. They even wanted to be entertained by Jesus. But as he walked along, he saw Levi, another name for Matthew, and it says the son of Alphaeus was sitting at the tax collector's booth. This man was making money. He was working for the occupying Roman Empire. He was doing well. He probably had the nicest clothes, the best house in town. A lot of people didn't like him. He was the tax collector. But he had what he wanted, and he was getting it. He was getting it done. He was achieving. He was having what he thought would make him happy. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Wait, um, wait, 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 what do you mean follow you? Like right, na- like right now? Like I've got taxes to collect here. No, 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 follow me. Yeah, but you've got to understand, Jesus, I can't just leave the lockbox. I mean, this is where the money, it belongs to the Romans. You know, they have the soldiers and they'll be upset at this. Follow me. Yeah, but you don't understand, Jesus. I, I had commitments. This weekend we're going to have a really big party and I've already planned it out. Follow me. He left it behind. It says he got up and followed him. It's like, oh, yeah, sorry, tax collector's booth is closed. I'm not sure Rome would have, been up to, would have been happy about that. It was disruptive. It was inconvenient. It, it, it changed everything about his life. And the call to follow Jesus does. I'm sorry, I can't apologize for that. It just does. We want Jesus to ask us, what do we want? As if he's the genie. But instead, he's asking, do you really want life? Then come, follow me. Come, follow me. Because the call of Jesus is to things that are greater than we could ever ask or imagine. The call to discipleship, it's greater than all of these other things. It's greater than all of these other things. Many of you all have been following Jesus for a while. Many of you have discovered this truth, but some are still kind of teetering. I work a lot with young adults. I work a lot with with college students. I work a lot with people who have big dreams and big plans, and sometimes the call of Jesus says, leave that behind. Let's look back at our passage, John chapter 1. We'll see that right here. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip then went and told Nathanael, hey, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law. Remember, all the things about Jesus were prophesied in the Old Testament. For 1,500 years, God has been telling the story that the Messiah was coming. And he says, we found this one that Moses wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael's response is, uh, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, Philip says. Okay, what about Nazareth? <laughs> Nazareth actually wasn't like the greatest city of the time. Nazareth wasn't exactly where you wanted to live. Nazareth was like, you know, not the super nice area. Okay, for, I have a, to go back to Texas this week. I'm going to a, my class on church revitalization and all these kinds of things. And one of the things we're supposed to do is do an analysis of the neighborhoods at, around the church. <clears throat> 
I can tell you right now, the median income for the people living here for a married home is pretty high in Timonium. Now, there's only 10,000 people, 10,542 that live in Timonium. That's according to the census in 2018. I'm sure it's changed a little. But I can tell you the median income. I can tell you the ethnic background of most of the people who live in Timonium. I can tell you about the average house prices in the, and, and what the home ownership rate is in this area. And it was very interesting to me. <clears throat> I'm from Parkville. Timoni and Parkville aren't the same. Uh, I was like, oh, that's how much houses cost? They're not close over here. <laughs> it's not, you know the difference, right? You know what the different areas are like. You've lived here. Did you know 68% of the people that, who live in Timonium were born in Timonium? People stay here. I didn't know. I mean, but that, that's just Timonium. Parkville, not so much. <laughs> but Timonium, they stay here. I mean, I, I, it's, just, it's just how it is. Very interesting fact. Nazareth was one of those places that didn't have the best reputation. Probably didn't have the best schools. Probably, you know, the, the National Merit Scholars, they didn't come from Nazareth High School. <laughs> you know, all the best sports teams, they, they, they weren't at Nazareth High School. It, it, it just wasn't the place. You didn't send your, you know, Nazareth Community College. It wasn't seen as the best school in the area. It, it's that kind of thing. The jobs weren't as good. Nazareth was seen as kind of, well, it, it just, it's, not, it's not great. Can anything good come from Nazareth. Brothers and sisters, sometimes that's how we see following Jesus. Oh, you're going to be a doctor or a business person or oh, you're going to be a scientist. You're going to be a, 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 a government of, you know, president of the United States. Oh, oh, well, yeah, if you can't really achieve, then maybe follow Jesus. If you can't have all the really big success as a TikTok star, maybe then follow Jesus. We almost think that the invitation to follow Jesus is only for those who couldn't make it doing something really good. It's like living in Nazareth. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Sometimes I'm afraid we don't invite people to follow Jesus because we actually kind of somewhere deep down inside think that, well, maybe they would have a better life on their own. Maybe they would, you know, these other pursuits in their lives might actually be better. And we start thinking, well, maybe we ought to just leave well enough alone. They seem to be pretty successful. They seem to be doing their own kinds of things. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip doesn't argue with him. Philip doesn't try to persuade him. Philip doesn't say, you haven't seen everything I've seen. Leave, this, leave your life behind. What he says is, come and see, Nathaniel. Just come and see. When we invite people to follow Jesus, we just need to say, come and see. We don't have to convince them. Life is better. Life is different, and it's harder. But life is greater than you could imagine. But all I can say is, come and see. I can't prove it to you. I can't convince, it, can't, can't convince you. But the answer is, come and see. Nathaniel does. Uh, in verse, next verse, verse 47, it says, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, Jesus is the first to speak. Here's a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit or in whom there is nothing false. That was a pretty quick judgment call. Well, we make first impressions. Do you make first impressions? And you, you judge people a little bit by first impressions. How do they dress? How do they look? How do they speak? How do they act? Was Jesus just kind of observing a first impression? Was he just making a judgment call? I'll tell you, generation X and down, uh, this current, nobody likes being put in a box. 
No one likes being judged right away. No one likes being told, well, obviously you're this. No one likes being labeled. And neither did Nathaniel. He says, how do you know me? And that gave Jesus the opportunity to be Jesus. Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you. I saw you. Jesus, I already, I know everything about you. I, I've known you from before you were even created. I know everything about you, Philip, or Nathaniel. Before Philip even called you, I saw you. This gave Jesus to be the opportunity to be Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to make Christian life perfect for anybody. We don't have to somehow convince anybody this is the best way. We don't, we don't actually have to at all. You know why? Because Jesus will be Jesus. You introduce people to Jesus and let Jesus be Jesus. You show them Jesus and let Jesus do the work in their life. Brothers and sisters, we can't actually make disciples. Jesus makes disciples. Jesus transforms life. Jesus works in all of our hearts. Jesus is the one that performs the miracles. Jesus is the one that can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. We just step out and follow Jesus. Well, Nathaniel reacted... Look at verse 49. He declared, Rabbi, uh, you're obviously the son of God. I mean, he didn't take much convincing. You're the king of Israel. Jesus, taken aback, says, you believe because I told you that? You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You're going to see better things than that. You're going to see greater things than that. You're going to see me raise the dead. You're going to see me tell a storm, shh, be still. You're going to see me feed 5,000 people with just like a sack lunch. You're going to see me like cure diseases. You're going to see me drive out demons. You're going to see me rise from the dead. You're going to see greater things than that. Brothers and sisters, following Jesus is not just about getting some kind of get out of hell free card or getting to heaven. It's about greater things. It's about living even in this life with all the difficulties, all the persecutions, all the hardships, and seeing all the good that God does, the miraculous in the middle of it. So what do you want? What do you want out of life? Is it, well, look at this next slide. Look, look at what Jesus says in John, Mark 10. Do we want irregular, ordinary, problem-free, happiness, stuff, achievement? I'm thinking, yes, yes, those would be quite good. And TikTok star. No. Look at what Jesus said. Truly I tell you, no one who has left their home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields, property, for me or the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Brothers, sisters, homes, mothers, and along with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. This is reality for those who follow Jesus. This is reality. Now, does it mean that all we are going to do is get very wealthy and we're going to have giant big families? No, but let me tell you this. I have a family that literally spans the globe. When I go to Cambodia and visit my family, we're not biologically related, but been there and did youth camp and saw, I mean, children, I've watched them grow up from the time they were in five years old in first grade till now graduating from high school. And I know they've become 
family to me as part of this Christian family. I can tell you about mountains in the Peru, in the Andes Mountains, where the people are like, oh, hey, how is Trevor doing? Hey, how is so-and-so? Because we would go year after year, and we shared the good news of Jesus. And as these people learned to follow him, God made us family. And I can stay in any one of their homes at any time, and they can stay in mine. Why? Why is that? Because God has given us to each other. He has given us an inheritance in the saints that far goes beyond all other worldly, material, temporary stuff. What do you want? Sometimes we've stopped talking about the saints of old. You know the people who live this out? You guys know the, the story, the story of Eric Little, right? Do you know him? Do you remember him? 1924 Olympics. <clears throat> Eric Little, he was a Scottish uh, uh, native. He actually grew up in China as a, as, as a son of missionaries. And um, Eric uh, was really fast. He was just really fast. He was a fast sprinter. He had this very unusual running style. He was just like, like run, I mean, everybody made fun of him. But he kept winning. And he was favored to win the 100 meter, like, like the sprint, right? You know, that's the big one. The 100 meter dash, fastest man alive. He was sort of favored to win that. But it turned out that he was very, very deeply committed to Jesus. And in the Olympics in 1924, the race was on Sunday, the qualifying heats. He's like, sorry, I, I don't run on Sunday. On Sunday, I just, I need to be in God's house. I need to be with his people. Now, can, we make it a, can you make a case for that? Yes. Can you say, well, there's other things we're going to do on some Sundays? Absolutely. But for him, Romans 14 says, if you're convinced of something, that something would be wrong for you, then don't do it. And for him, he just would not run on Sundays. He just, that, that was his personal conviction. That's where he took a stand. And he said, no, I'm, I'm not running. This is the Olympics, people. Can't you take a time out for the Olympics? They only come every four years. He said, No. So they let him go ahead and go to the Olympics, and they let him run in the 400. Now, the 400 meter is a different kind of race. It's almost like a middle distance run, right? I mean, it's a straight-out sprint at 100 meters. But 400 meters, you got to, like, pace yourself just a little bit. It's still a pretty fast pace. But he never run that. That wasn't his race. But he took off. I mean, he took off. Because he only knows one way to run, and that's fast. And he ran as fast as he could, and as fast as he could. Now, he's starting to wane towards the end, and others are catching up to him. But he held on. He won the gold medal in the 400. He became the most famous athlete in Scotland. When they did, like, the Scottish, like, Hall of Fame of athletes, he was the first guy nominated. He was the one that became this incredible global influence. He could have been anywhere and done anything. And here's what he did. He went back to China. He went back to China. At first he taught in schools, but later he went to a very rural uh, area uh, where his brother was a medical doctor and, and, and in pretty difficult conditions. And of course World War II came and the Japanese invaded and there were harsh treatments. And he was in an internment camp. He, he was restricted. He was in prison. I mean, these are prisoner of war camps. Now, others seemed to isolate themselves, take advantages, try to get anything they could, but instead he organized the children of the camp, started schools, played games, had school dances, did everything he could every day, and just a few months before the camp was liberated, he died. He died. And he said this on his deathbed. He said, total surrender. 
That my life is all about Jesus. My life is all about others. My life is about greater things. And when asked earlier in his life, when he was back home visiting before the internment camps, before, when he, before he went back to China, people asked him, you could do anything. One reporter said, doesn't your mind ever say, well, well, you could have sort of fame and fortune here. Why, why are you spending your life there? And he said, well, I would be lying if I didn't think about that sometimes. But this meaning this ministry, serving others, giving my life away, following Jesus, this is just of greater worth. Is your life about the things that are of greater worth? Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things than these. Well, the last thing I want you to see is this became the priority of their lives. Look at what happened. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those who heard that John say um, <clears throat> he's the one, and they, he followed Jesus. The first thing he did, verse, 31, verse 41, Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. The first thing he did was find his brother and tell him we found the Messiah. The same with Philip. The first thing he did was find Nathaniel and say, come and see. Come and see. So who's your first thing? If we're going to be involved, if we're going to follow this model of Jesus, we invite people. Andrew invited Peter. Philip invited Nathaniel. Who are you inviting to follow Jesus? The call to discipleship is inconvenient. It's disruptive. It's a call to greater things, but it's a call to call others. So here's my question for you today. Are you following Jesus? Whatever that means. Are you saying yes to the greater things? The greater things that might be harder. The greater things that might be sacrificial. The greater things that probably will be very costly in your life. But just are greater. Are you saying yes, Lord, yes? Or was that just a song you were singing? For those of you that don't know Jesus yet, are you saying yet? Would you say yes to Jesus today? Would you just say, look, I don't, I, I don't quite understand it all, but okay, if this is real, I'm in, I'm going to follow Jesus. Would you say yes? Jesus, forgive me, I'll follow you. Some of you, I think, God, you've heard that call today. And finally, for those of us that know Jesus, would we be bold enough would we be honest enough? Would we believe this enough to ask others to follow Jesus, even though we know it's going to cost, even though we know it might be disruptive in their family, even though, or would we stop making excuses for others and just say, Jesus is calling, will you say yes? This morning, some of you, maybe you want to say yes to Jesus right now. You can do that in your seat, but I would also invite you right now, if you want to walk to the front, I'll pray with you. I'll share with you more about what it is to follow Jesus. Maybe that's you today. You're saying, I want to know Jesus. For some of you, maybe there's something you need to pray about. I'll be here. And for some of you, maybe this is the time that you want to join this church. You just know God is calling you to be here to help us do the work that God is calling us to do. Would you respond however Jesus is leading you. We're going to sing a song, and you respond as Jesus calls. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the call, the call to greater things. Help us leave those small ambitions behind. Help us be those who know and follow your Son always. We pray this in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen.